want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Nice. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, keep us. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? How are we, how's it going? I'm asking H- you How's first. it going? How's it going? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I, I, you know, it's, we're coming into the home stretch of Doctor Who month and uh, it's also that time of year. So I have, I've, I already have a, a holiday gig. It ha- it's not even Thanksgiving Ooh. yet, and I have a holiday gig. But, you know, it's good to have a gig. Uh, so that, you know, it's very busy right now. It's very crazy busy, but I have in my hand a delicious homemade latte. So I'm, I'm, I'm powering through. Well, that means you're having a better morning than I am. No no delicious homemade latte for, for yourself? No, no delicious latte, homemade or otherwise. Oh, tears. Sad panda. But you do have a rather stylish hoodie, so there you go. I- I'm actually wearing the Jameson hoodie the bar gave me. <laughs> Nice. Well, we have yes. uh, we have a lot more of. Hopefully, this will keep you awake. A lot of interesting television to talk about this week. A couple, yeah. There's this. Uh, there's a finale in there. There's a there's a pilots in there. So uh, we'll we'll get we'll get there. We first wanted to mention, of course, we'll be talking with Jason Griffin, the TV holic, at the end of the show, and he came back on to talk about the IT crowd or the IT crowd, the popular British series. Um, that just recently finished up its run. And uh, we also heard from a bunch of you guys this week. There's a lot of Walking Dead talk. Um, James says he doesn't know why people are dropping off of the Walking Dead. And he thinks that last week's episode was the best of the season. He, and he seems to be glad the governor is back. Mario doesn't want Glenn to die either, which is something that uh, Ricky was saying on the the Walking Dead podcast. He says Carol can come back, um, but not with the governor who should be eaten. I concur. Governor Eaton, that's awesome. Um, liking the season, but yes, good characters are missing. Carl says, could zombie fatigue or expectations be the problem with the Walking Dead reaction? We were talking about how it seems like people are really kind of drifting away from the Walking Dead this year, and I think it's the best it's ever been, so I think that's really interesting. So he was pondering that. Um, he's not much of a horror guy, so zombies are still new to him. We also asked which two, which character or two characters from other shows would you put into the zombie apocalypse? I, of course, said Stonebridge and Scott from from uh, Strike Back. They would just have that thing sorted, like, immediately. He says he wants to put Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson in there. Leslie, because she would be a great council member and would probably have organized a mixer for the zombies in the prison group by now. And Ron could be the first zombie who could speak and wax poetic about the non-vegan lifestyle of a zombie. And he would be delightfully enthusiastic about that. What, what do you think, sir? People to throw into the zombie apocalypse. Um, hmm. Stonebridge and Scott is a good pick. Definitely. Um, I have to give this some thought. I would say... Uh, let's, throw, let's throw Kalinda in there. Okay. I, f- I feel like she'd be all right. She, she'd definitely she'd make it through. I, I, I feel like she would take the Morgan approach. Right? Yeah, definitely. Just quiet, t- keep to yourself, lots and lots of traps. 
Yeah. Find some abandoned town. I think that's a good way to go. Yeah. Nice. I like it. I like it. Ken says that the episode this week is how you write interesting new characters from the start when they show up on The Walking Dead. He, he liked that, that a lot. And uh, Keith wants to know if I hated this week's governor-centric episode. And Keith, you'll have to listen to The Walking Dead podcast over at Sound That Site to find out. Um, spoiler alert, uh, no, but I was somewhat perplexed. So we'll see. Yeah. More to be discussed on, on that. Of course, if you subscribe to iTunes, the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast should already be in your feed. But if not, you can go to Sound of Sight and find it there. Let's see. We also talked a bunch about Doctor Who. And we're going to mention some of that. We're going to talk about Little Who in the genre section this week. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I should de-psych myself for the anniversary because I don't want to have my expectations too high. And Corey says, just remember that Moffat will probably fuck it up. I think that's probably a, a very effective way to de-psych myself. Um, Beth was also, uh, it seems like she was very excited about the, the webisode that we'll be talking about. And Robert, Jordan, and Caroline and I also talked a little who this week. Um, Amanda says she's going to have to drop out of the Amazing Race pool because she hasn't been keeping up with the season. I noticed that she hadn't done a overall pick yet, which seemed rather, yeah, that, that wasn't going to be very effective. How are you feeling about the pool, sir? I have not been giving it my due attention. My, I, I feel good about my overall pick, but I haven't been uh, minding my my weekly picks quite so much. It's been interesting because I think a solid like maybe a third of the people who are who are in the pool uh, haven't necessarily been checking in every week, and so it's always fun to see. You know, there's like a group of three or four people who have the exact same points every week. Um, as each other, so I'm assuming those are the default. Though it is always a little depressing when they all beat me. So yeah. I could have just left it and done better, but anyways. That's usually how it goes in life. <laughs> Mario says uh, the, he's he wants to know we recommended The Fall, yes, because it's during the top of his queue. Um, we still stand by that. Uh, yes. Yes, we do. Enjoy. Let us know what you think, Mario. And we also got an email from Carl who says he has almost completed season one of The Good Wife, um, he, though he did skip a few episodes. His favorite so far is Doubt, where the girl's accused of shooting her roommate, and it's you know, told from the perspective of the jury. I look. I am looking forward to seeing if it gets the 100-episode gold standard. Uh, I think it will. There's no doubt about that. It's the 100th episode is like two weeks away, and it's probably better than it's ever been, so... yeah. Yeah, no, no real mystery there. Um, for for Carl, he says the show that he enjoyed the quality most consistently through that made it over 100 is The West Wing. He says minus the horrible season five. I thought it rebounded well with Alan Alda and Jimmy Smith's arcs of the final seasons. Honorable mentions are Scrubs, Fringe, and Lost. There are many contenders of shows with 10 to 13 episode seasons. The Wire, The Shield, Breaking Bad, Justified, that were or are consistently good throughout, which makes me want all the networks to go that way. I also have a question of the week for you. I really love episodes told from different perspectives other than the main characters, like the jury episode of The Good Wife. Is there a storytelling method that would you that you'd like to see utilized more or more effectively on TV? I can only think of storytelling modes I want to see less, <laughs> not more. Um, hmm... Uh, I, I mean, I want to see more, it's not really a storytelling method, I guess, but the, the whole pace of shows like Rectify and The Return, this idea of slow TV that doesn't necessarily rely on like huge stakes every week and manages to coast by on atmosphere or character or good filmmaking or whatever, like that, I think that's, that's got legs. I th I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, definitely. I guess this is more of a descriptor. I don't know if it really counts as a storytelling method, but just 
um, more episodes that just d- dive right in. And I'm not talking about an in media res where they go back and then fill in the gaps later. Just start and don't feel, you know, I, w- I would like to see more episodes that don't feel the need to set up and examine everything right before they do it. They just kind of go um, start at a run and, and continue throughout the episode. So I, I, I think it's actually kind of the opposite what you said. I would love, I would love more shows doing that rectify sort of pace, but I also would like the, the actiony procedurally kind of shows that I watch to, to not feel the need to explain everything three times. Uh, anyways, thank you guys so much for your feedback. We always appreciate hearing from you and, uh, let's see what else we should mention at sound on site. It is still Dr. Who month. Um, I just put up my profile of the 10th Doctor, who I know is a lot of people's favorite, last night. So hopefully people will have some thoughts they'd like to share, their favorite moments they'd like to share. By the way, anyone listening who has a particular favorite Doctor Who character or or, or arc or any of that, I would love to get some feedback on these different character profiles that have been going up uh, every day. Because, uh, I mean, I picked my favorite moments or, or, or quotes or anything, but there are so many for so... For, for these, for these, uh, especially the more popular characters, I would like to to hear what everybody else's favorite Sarah Jane moment, or Fourth Doctor, or or Amy Pond. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of who love to share, as far as I'm concerned. So let me know how you guys feel about those different characters. It's also Soderbergh month. It's also a lot. We next month, of course, is going to be all of our wrap ups at the end of the year. I'm already dreading my top shows list. If we're going to do a top episodes list, I. I'm I'm starting to get I'm already starting to get nervous sweats about it. Yeah, I just I, I hate lists. I hate lists. <laughs> Especially I'm, ordered lists. I'm already preparing to be annoyed when when websites start putting out their best uh, shows of the of the year list and the beginning of December when Treme has barely started and so it can't be in serious contention. Yeah, but that'll be fun. And it'll be, it'll be at the end of the year. They'll it'll give us plenty to talk about. But for now, let's uh, take a break. And start up our week in TV, and we're going to kick things off with the comedies and reality. This week in reality and comedy, we are going to do a quick comedy roundup of Ground Floor, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Mindy Project, Parks and Rec, and Key and Peel. Then we're going to spend a little bit more time on Eastbound and Down, their series finale, Chapter 29. And then we'll talk a little reality with uh, Top Chef and The Amazing Race. But first, let's start with our comedy roundup. Now, did you get a chance to check out the Ground Floor pilot? No, I didn't even know it was a thing that existed until I saw it on your show list. <laughs> this is the new comedy from Bill Lawrence that's on TBS, and I've heard some some buzz about it, so I decided I would check it out, and I saw the first two episodes, and I think it's 
fine, but I'm actually a little surprised to see as much praise heaped on it as I have seen. Maybe it's just a situation of, of expectations where I think a lot of viewers went in with no expectations, whereas I went in with raised expectations because I was hearing praise for it. But, you know, I actually think the pilot is funny. And so that's a clear step in the right direction, but it, it's not notable as far as I'm concerned. It, and when we're talking sort of about this season, about a lot of comedy pilots feeling like they're from the 90s, this is another one that feels straight out of the 90s. And so it's a little, it's a little strange, I guess, for me to be hearing so much praise for it. But I thought it was solid and fine and perfectly uh, non-offensive. So if you are looking for another workplace comedy, go for Ground Floor. Uh, let's talk a little Brooklyn Nine-Nine, old school. Uh, Stacy Keach was in this week. You can never go wrong with a Stacy Keach guest appearance. I, I thought it was a nice move to have the sort of flashback pivot happen around uh what was was it a sexist remark or a homophobic remark? Now I forgot. Homophobic remark. Yes, uh, that was a nice touch, uh, and and also you know, anything to make us like the Sandberg character more, I think, is a good move. Yeah, and and just watching him get destroyed throughout the course of the episode continually um, by his attempts to impress Stacey Keach, I thought worked really well, and then the turn worked nicely as well. I'm I'm having fun with. Uh, with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mindy Project, I just wanted to mention because I loved the whole <laughs> breakdown of texting and the, that, uh, like, the significance of the winky smiley face in their texting I thought was hilarious. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But I actually, I enjoyed Mindy Project quite a bit this week. Parks and Rec, filibuster, and recall vote. I did not think that was going to happen. Neither did I. Way to go, Parks, for surprising us at this late juncture. Definitely. Now, is she going to run again? Just because she got recalled doesn't mean she can't run again. Yeah, I don't actually know how that works, but we don't do recalls here. We don't generally have to recall people, although, <clears throat> obvious exception. <laughs> <laughs> Not named here. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. She's, she seemed pretty pretty soundly defeated, so I don't know what... What, I I don't know what the future is for that character. It's the first time in a long time there's been any kind of ambiguity about anything to happen on Parks, so good for them. And it was just sort of lovely to see the Wendy Davis filibuster referenced and sort of uh, yes. commented on. No one else has done that yet, uh, or and I don't think anybody else will, I guess. But you know, I was hoping maybe for a Good Wife or some of these other shows that that like to be inspired by by you know by standout events. You know, so to sort of see the Parks and Rec sort of version of that, it made a lot of sense for the character and just was really sweet. Of course, all the 90s stuff was great. And I gotta love anybody who's dressed up as Buttercup for, for Halloween. It's gonna, it just makes my heart go pitter-pat. So I thought, I thought that stuff really worked. And I look forward to more Kristen Bell, as I'm assuming Leslie's gonna run, you know, for her seat again against Kristen Bell. And that could be a lot of fun. So we'll see. Yeah, and we got, and we can't forget we got a little more Maslani this week, which yeah. is still great. Yeah, she just can come back always. I'm, I'm, yep, I, she she fit in so easily and so immediately with this group, and uh, I, and it also gave Anne some of the best material she's had in quite a while. So it was it was nice. Uh, Key and Peel, I just got to mention, you guys heard the song going into this segment that that funk. Uh, I guess just riff sort of uh, sketch was hilarious. There was a lot of really good comedy on Key and Peel this week. Hey, if you like that, you should listen to some Parliament records. I liked the uh, the, the the sleep running gag. I liked the the old man and the stereotypes. 
uh, going through. It was nice to see uh, Leslie David Baker, of course, you know, Stanley from The Office, show up in that sketch as well. You had the Jiu-Jitsu Academy. There was there was some there was some good stuff this week. Um, but yeah, as soon as I saw that that you know song come up, I was like, excellent podcast done. I, there's Yay. been a lot of really great music on, especially on the comedies this season. It's making my job easy. So thank you. Yes. Let's move on, though, to uh, spend a little more time about the, uh, the Eastbound and Down finale, Chapter 29. So let's just kick this immediately off with I, uh, with a mea culpa here, because I don't know the answer to this, and I feel like I should. I've not had the time to go back and do my due diligence on it. How much of this season has been Kenny writing his screenplay? I didn't even think about it until you asked me this question right before we started recording, and now I have a headache, so thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I... I don't know <laughs> because in the context of the show, he finishes the screenplay and gives it to Stevie and then goes on with the rest of his life. But then that turns out to be a screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh God, my head hurts. Um, but besides that question, I thought it was just an okay finale to be honest. I mean, the whole rest of life montage was appropriately insane and i did i did appreciate that but the rest of it just felt a little safe for them but not i don't know it was strange like the whole thing wasn't safe like there were just there were some jolts of darkness here and there that made it even stranger that it was so safe like that last scene with tim heidecker was just so dark (laughs) (laughs) and i know that's why i i I knew a scene like that was coming because you, you you know, you, you want to bring a guy like that on because he's got a little bit of range. And I think that worked in a very, like I said, dark kind of way. But then the rest of it was so sentimental and almost schmaltzy, with the exception of Sasha Baron Cohen, who I guess did the Seth Rogen thing this year. Um, and yes, I couldn't help but think whether or not that was a stunt cock. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the Sasha Baron Cohen thing didn't particularly work for me it was just so um look it's sasha baron cohen i i i i did like jerome though <laughs> that was the the kid i'm assuming yeah <laughs> oh god yeah but like so, i thought ken marino was good in this episode um <laughs> i thought the, the there was a lot of it that that really worked and uh it felt appropriate to the character but yeah it didn't blow me away the way that i would hope um, an Eastbound finale would, though honestly, the the finales have never been my favorite episodes of this of this no, show. They tend not to be. Anyways, it, but it still was this really strong final season. I don't think it's going to be in contention for my my top ten or even maybe my top twenty. But it's been a, a season I've really enjoyed. Yeah, and to, can, can we be honest? Also, I don't buy necessarily that it's the final season. They said it last season. Yeah. And it was just as conclusive last season. Mm-hmm. How soon we forget. Let's not all as- <laughs> just take their word for it and assume that it's done just because they said so. Yeah, when they started aging up Kenny. And by the way, can we just mention Lindsay Lohan as as his daughter? <laughs> some of the best casting ever. And, of course, Alexander Skarsgård as the son, of course, from True yep. Blood. S- such fabulous casting for such tiny parts. Um, anyways, uh the as they started aging at the characters like oh they aren't kidding they're really gonna huh this is getting weird oh it's a screenplay never mind yeah 
<laughs> yeah. As soon as we got to the hover bikes, I started to suspect. Yeah. The hover bikes in Africa. I was like, this is really strange if this is what they're seriously going with. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, someone else will have to get back to us on the definitive word about the screenplay. I'd rather not have to think about that whole season as just being a figment of his imagination. Because mm-hmm. that would be really bothersome. But also, it's East Bend and Down, so I can't take it too seriously. <laughs> so what wins your week in comedy? Uh, well, since I... Since I may not be able to ever do it again, I'll give it to Eastbound, even though just just for just for sentimental value, I suppose. Yeah, I'll give it to Eastbound as well. And I'm going to miss you, Eastbound and Down, which I would not have guessed based on when I remember watching the pilot. I would not have guessed that I was going to actively miss having this We'll miss show. you if you're actually leaving. If you're actually leaving. Um, let's talk quickly about some reality. I just wanted to mention Top Chef because they finally had Kermit on and uh, I was underwhelmed. How do you have Kermit on and not do a frog legs challenge? Was there not a station that had... There was a station that had frog legs, but still, just because he's so known for that, I was assuming... I, I shouldn't have had that assumption, I guess. The musical chairs was fun. I loved watching the expressions as everyone, like, skittered past the microwave. This was pretty great. Um, and the overall challenge was, was, was fun. I'm looking forward, though, to Dr. John next week. I'm hoping to see a little bit more. I would actually like to hear more music. When they uh, started going to the da-da-da-da-da-da, I was, like, dancing in my seat at home. Um, and so I was hoping to hear more awesome music. I guess I just really want for me to start. Yeah, pretty much. I, I will say I was really, really happy to see Stephanie finally win, mm-hmm. especially after so much of What's-Her-Name winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good to change it up a little bit. And I do. I still think every week that the food looks really good and it looks like they have a nice, relatively drama-free set of, of chefs, and I always appreciate that. Um, any thoughts on The Amazing Race? One hot camel. Oh, the Afghanimals keep winning, and now I'm worried they're just going to win. Uh, I don't think they're not going to win. No, no. Uh, I still I'm, I I like Tim and Marie more every week. I know I say it every week, but it's more true. I liked all the sexy camel jokes. <laughs> uh, that was a strain of humor that never really got old. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's, it's much like with Top Chef. Actually, they've got a, a nice, strong set of competitors with no really annoying whiners in the bunch, which is always a plus. I was very surprised that everybody went with the camels initially. I would have. I saw those two challenges. Well, of course you do the cooking because you just have to chop some stuff up. And then I'm watching a lot of prep, though. I want. Yeah, it was not not unsubstantial amount of prep. Ten onions, you know, uh, or eight onions, ten garlic cloves or whatever. But grinding cinnamon. Yeah, but that's not I mean, I I don't know. Maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal to me. But I was watching the episode like, yeah, we have a restaurant, you know, and that's like the slowest chopping I have ever seen in my entire life. I was watching this and being like, do you ever do any prep? Because it seems like you've never done a mirepoix for a soup or something because you were taking forever on those <laughs> onions. Uh, I'm, I'm not the fastest chopper myself and I work in a restaurant, so I can... I, I can sympathize. <laughs> I'm, I don't... Eh, I don't like knives. The notion of having to, like, guess which camel, you know, they're going to like was just... did not seem... Was it just me or did they just kind of like the whitest camels? I, well, I don't know, because they, the first camel that got brought up was really light, you know, and that, so I thought, you know, that when they brought the even lighter camel, that was the one they went with, but I don't know, the the it just seemed rather, you know, because of course we don't have that basis of knowledge, it, it seemed like you're rather up to chance, so that's why I would have, you know, whenever there's an animal one, I'm less likely to think it's a good idea. I thought the rap- rapids looked fun. Um, I would not have used my express pass the way that they did. I thought that was very foolish, but, you know, whatever. 
Um, any other thoughts on the episode? Yeah, I was also confused by the use of the, and they were so confident about it too. Like, yep, we got we, this was the right time to use it. I'm like, really? Yeah, mm. yeah. I guess they're trying. They really this. wanted to knock out the Afghanimals. Yeah, but... that wasn't even close to happening. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the you know, and it was nice to see nice to see my team win. Of course, the the docs, the poll. I'm currently sitting one point ahead of Mario, and so I think I'm like in fifth place. I'm pretty sure he'll beat me next week. But for now. Top half, feeling pretty good. And yourself? Uh, I don't even know where I am in the standings right now. Oh, you need to get in the game, sir. I know, I know. I'm not feeling very competitive these days. Uh, well, what wins your week in reality? Um, I'll give it to The Amazing Race. I'll give it to... I'll give it to Top Chef. I did enjoy The Amazing Race this week, but it was just... It's nice to, you know, hear, hear the little... Good jazz on my TV, even if it's just in Top Chef form. So now we'll take a break, listen to some more music, and come back with our week in genre. This week in genre, we have The Walking Dead, Live Bait, Grim One Night Stand, Almost Humans, Pilot, uh, Doctor Who, The Night of the Doctor, American Horror Story, Coven, and Le Revenant, uh, Julie, or The Returned Julie. Uh, pronunciation there? I would say Julie. Julie? Okay. So uh, let's start off with quickly The Walking Dead, Live Bait. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, the Sound Inside Walking Dead podcast is all of, already available in the, in the iTunes feed, or you can find it at Sound On Sight. I thought it was a good episode, but with a completely different central character than the last time we saw him. So you can hear my thoughts there. Uh, talking with, of course, Ricky and then our buddy Sean Coletti from the Sound On Sight TV section as well. Can I, Can I just throw this out there? Is every new showrunner on The Walking Dead, which they seem to have every year, just going to disregard everything every other showrunner did? Because if so, that's kind of hilarious. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. They they try to make it seem like it's the same character for, like, a scene. 
And then they just, uh, it's, it's, that's a discussion for another podcast. Um, Grim, One Night Stand, it was basically Grim does The Little Mermaid, which I thought was actually pretty interesting because I haven't done that before. My review is up at Sound on Sight, and uh, I thought elements of it actually worked really well. Um, and I liked sort of the, the shot, you know, certain shots, the angles of it and everything were, you know, felt very reminiscent of the little mermaid. So that was interesting. And of course with the grim kind of twist on it. Um, so I liked that episode, um, almost human had its pilot as we discussed, uh, earlier in the year, I saw it at Comic-Con and was somewhat underwhelmed. I think there's a lot of potential in this premise, but I think that, uh, the first half of the pilot doesn't work very well until uh, Michael Ely comes on and then all of a sudden it gets much better. I don't necessarily have uh, a lot of faith that this is going to become an interesting show right away because it seems like it's very interested in being a procedural and it does not yet have the strong core character base that I, you know, I really think a procedural, like this needs to have to keep my interest, but um, I'm gonna I'll keep checking it out for a few weeks. I didn't get a chance to see the ex- second episode yet, um, so I'll, I'll check back in next week with the second and third episode and let you guys know where I am with it. Let's move on to Doctor Who: The Night of the Doctor. Now this is a mini sode that sort of leads into the 50th anniversary special, which will be airing this week. I asked you to watch this. Because I watched it and loved it and it exploded my brain with awesome, mostly because it's just continuity porn for those of us who have been watching Doctor Who for a long time. Uh, what did you think? And I have a feeling you have some questions. Uh, it's not so much that I have questions. It's just that for me, it was just made of questions that I didn't really, I don't, I don't even know if I care enough to ask them. It's just, you know, like you said, for for you, it's continuity porn. For me, it's just a thing i watched i don't even know what that was about well it it centers on the eighth doctor and that by itself is a surprise and i'm astonished they managed there were rumors out there but there have been rumors about everything for the 50th anniversary and most of them are just a hogwash so this was able to fly under the radar when you open up the mini so it's only you know six six minutes or so um and the first line is uh i'm a doctor but i'm not the one you're probably expecting it and it's paul mcgann who was last seen in the the doctor who terrible it's just terrible tv movie uh the the backdoor pilot that would have been a show on fox in the 90s yeah thank god that did not come together it has eric roberts as the master and it's just it's bad but Paul McGann is very good and has gone on to be a really interesting and entertaining doctor in the audio dramas and some of the novelizations and stuff. And so to see that doctor brought back and actually get to be awesome <laughs> for a few minutes as opposed to just sort of, you know, forgettable in this rather unfortunate TV movie was really great. It was a really lovely surprise. And we get to see his death and his regeneration into the John Hurt doctor. Um, or the war doctor, he's not really, and, and the fact that he regenerates and is young, and we know that when we next see him, he's very old, so theoretically he lived a, a long, t- a very long time, um, like hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years. Uh, hey now, John Hurt's really not that old. Well, when you, the, the CG of making him younger uh, in that was substantial. I mean, we can agree on that. Come on. Oh, yeah, but... You basically just called the real John Hurt hundreds of years old. Just... Remember the fact that uh, the Matt Smith doctor, over the course of, you know, Matt Smith aging three years, has aged 200 years in the continuity of the show. 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so that's why. Not because John Hurt is that old, just because Time Lords age differently. Right. Okay, any other thoughts on this? Did it look cool? Did it interest you? <laughs> Did it? Because for some people, I know it really sparked them, if they're already a Whovian or already a Doctor Who fan, to go back and check out Paul McGann or want to listen to some of his other work as the Doctor. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. But I mean, you know, I'll 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 watch the, the special with my requisite, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reluctance? Uh, skepticism? Uh, no, there will be a sense of, of, of duty, but also skepticism involved, yes. Uh, but yeah, this didn't make me want to start a, a Doctor Who library or, you know, do any of those things that you Doctor Who people do. Are you gonna I don't watch, really get what you do. Are, are you going to watch an adventure in space and time, the TV movie? Oh, hell no. Movie that's not going to happen. About, uh, okay, that's, that's the, the TV movie about the creation of Doctor Who. No, there's there's a line I've drawn, and that's well past it. Oh, come on. It has it has uh, David Bradley, and it has uh, um, Jessica, I can't remember her last name, from Call the Midwife, and it has Brian Cox, and come on. Yeah, like I said, there's the line. <laughs> that's, that's way me. over there. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for indulging me uh, in watching the minisode. Let's talk about American Horror Story Coven, The X-Men Cometh. I loved this episode. This was pretty damn good. I mean, first of all, we got a flashback to what could be a whole other season of this show with Grace Gummer and the Suffragette Witches, which was just so unbelievably badass. That was, oh, I... Oh man, how how we only got five minutes with them? That's a crime. Yeah, I when it opened up and, and it's Grace Gummer, I was just ecstatic. I was like, wait, is she gonna be oh, awesome? Because also, if that means that she's in the repertory and they're gonna you know bring her back for future seasons too, that would be so amazing. Uh, so yes. yeah, absolutely. It on has board. It, it it has been renewed, which is not a shock at all because it's one of FX's top rated shows. So good for them. Although what it's being renewed into, we have no idea, mm-hmm. and which is also cool. Anyway, the, this was a pretty solid episode overall. Uh, Danny Houston, I thought, was really inspired casting for the Axe Man, uh, just just as great as Ian McShane was last season as basically Killer Santa. Which seriously, if you haven't watched that stuff, go back and watch it because it was so good. Yeah, I still I have not watched any of that season, and I wanted to ask um, since you bring it up. How does last season relate to this season in terms of scariness? Because I have not found this season scary at all. Very, very interesting, but not scary at all. Um, and last season, what I was hearing about it sounded horrifying, like um, mentally scarring. I think, I mean, there's definitely some, like, as you've seen, there are some, there's some imagery. Yes. Thank <laughs> you for that. Thank that, you for that mime <laughs> there. Our listeners don't know, but he's been tor- tormenting me with that. I think that the, the the setting of season two is just innately scarier. I mean, just the, the fact that you've got so many characters that are being held against their will in a place they can't leave and being treated like they're insane when they're not necessarily insane. I mean, that's just a horrible that's that's like a, a primal nightmare feeling. Well, and also just the our, our heroes this this season or the characters that we're following, I should say, are they all have agency because they all have powers. And and so they're they are not just helpless victims, interesting victims, but mostly just powerless. Um, at least, and that's what that's what I it seemed like we got for with a few of the characters last season. And so um, I think that makes a substantial difference for me. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely 
it's much less claustrophobic in every sense. Uh, and it's, and you know, they talked about in advance that this was going to be a funnier season. And at first I didn't buy it, but I, I think I, I see what oh, they yeah. meant now, uh, for sure. Yeah. Even just with Queenie, she's just hilarious. And just, just her, um, <laughs> cause she's used her ability to actually, you know, help and save herself, but mostly she's just using it to be awesome and, uh, just kind of bother people. And, uh, I kind of love that. I um I, I find it interesting that they're like I mean we probably mentioned this before but it seems to be a through line for the entire season slash series now. There's basically one male speaking part on the show <laughs> for the entire show. Dennis O'Hare can't talk, and Evan Peters could talk, and now he can't and hasn't been able to for a long time. So yeah, the, that's interesting. The gender politics of it is. Are, are absolutely fascinating because the male characters are all monsters of one sort or the other. Um, even even Dennis O'Hare, he's not a monster, but he seems like it. He can't yes. talk. He looms. He you know has a dead body just chilling upstairs. Um, you know, there's a they're they're all monsters, and but they've all pretty much been turned into monsters by women. So you have the Minotaur, you have Evan Peters' uh, character, you have uh, the the person who's revealed to be a witch hunter this season, this week. I was assuming that he was killing people based on the spell that she did. Um, it seems seems like that is not the case. But for the most part, the the men on this show are all horrific due to their interactions with women. Well, the... The witch hunter it seems like would have been a witch hunter anyway. So, yeah, yeah, like, that that's exception. an exception. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's definitely the worst, which is also notable. Yeah, but and um, and and even just this week, the Axe Man is released by the women. By women, yes, yeah. Although once again, he was doing yeah. his thing well before. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I will, although the scene where we find out that he's a witch hunter was was really clumsily written. Yeah, um, yeah, lo- lots of exposition galore that they really should have found some other way to do. But uh, yeah, overall, it's just been a blast uh, recently. It's still, I don't think it's a patch on last season just because uh, like, there's lots of that's interesting, but I'm not emotionally engaged the same way I was last season, which maybe is owing to the stakes not being really present just because there's, it's so wacky and there's so much resurrection and everyone is powerful that it's, it's kind of just making it more of a sort of, a fun free for all than so sort of an actually engaging story, if that makes any sense. Were you surprised that we seemingly have Madison back? Uh, no, <laughs> I think it's surprising to get anyone back. Okay, point. we'll see. And it's nice that at least it seems like her situation went a little better. It's nice that she can talk, for example. Yes. We'll we'll see what happens next. Any other thoughts on this week? Uh, oh, oh! I have to mention you. You heard the music leading into this section. I love that they used Castadiva. Such a perfect musical choice. Uh, are you familiar with Castadiva? Nope. That's the aria from Norma that is you, chosen by Grace Gummer's character to be what they play. Oh uh, yes. To lure him in, and of course, if if you know about Norma, it's a it's a beautiful opera centered on a a druidic priestess. Uh, or, or high, you know, she's a matriarch of her of her clan, and she falls in love with a Roman soldier or or centurion or captain kind of person, and then, uh, and they're they're together. But he he 
falls in love with another woman and leaves her and there's a whole thing about age in there because she's older and this other woman is a lot younger there's a lot of you know she's she's the you know matriarchal head of her clan whereas the romans are a bunch more patriarchal so there's all this really great age and gender politics in that opera and so to tie it in here with what is one of the most beautiful arias ever composed so it's a perfect choice for so many reasons and i just as soon as it came out i was like of course of course cast a diva so thank you and, and now i get to play it on the podcast well good for you <laughs> i'm very excited clearly um let's move on to les revenants and julie what did you think uh, i thought it was another good episode i i find it interesting that of all the shows to incorporate the surveillance state it's a european show that's doing it the most prominently America, you're doing it wrong. Um, although I guess we'll get the remake for that. I thought it was good. The I have no, I, I think one of the interesting things about this show is that nothing and everything seems to happen all at once. I mean, so much of this episode is just watching characters sort of adjust to the fact that they've got, you know, there's, you know, it's been a few episodes, and and you, yes, you have one character who's kind of joking about the fact that they used to be dead and uh, let's start a club, etc. But for the most part, you've just got a lot of quiet adjustment. And then on the other hand, you've got the Victor stuff, <laughs> which is so creepy. I'm glad you're on board with that. Well, okay. It was definitely cre the creepiest it's been this week. Come on. Well, yeah, he just stabbed someone to death, so that helps. Yeah, but we also get that great sequence with the former victim in the lobby and the lights going on and off and there's the attacker, but actually it's just Victor. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's so much going on with with that character and I think this the you know, when I was so convinced it was the guy and so when it turns out that it's just it's her projection of this and her fear and is is sort of making her a bit mad. Uh, I thought that was so much more interesting and when uh, and, and maybe something supernatural was happening there too. We just don't know. It's possible. Uh, I just, I thought that was so well handled. The whole Simon character thing is a bit much for me. It seems like this was way, everybody, everybody knows about Simon. Everybody knows about Adele's tragic, you know, backstory, but nobody knows what Simon looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. That seems a bit I weird. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I think more effective is the, I, I love those scenes we get on the dam of mm -hmm. them just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And lots of little things like everyone's plumbing is messed up. There's cockroaches coming out of the sinks. Just, and again, we still, we still have no idea what any of that's about or if it's even connected to what's going on. I just, I love all the ambiguity on the show. It's, it's so good. Everyone, uh, there's a lot of shows that need to take a page from that. Definitely. Uh, well, so what wins your week in genre? Uh, it's, I'm torn between the really fun show and the really good show. <laughs> um, I'll give it to The Returned. I'm going to give it to American Horror Story. There we go. Even split. Yeah, no, no one's, I don't think, surprised by that, given my you know, affinity for opera. Well-deployed opera, I should say. Um, anyways, so now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. Try, try, try to separate them. It's an illusion. Try, 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 you only come to this conclusion. Love and marriage, love and marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. Babe was told by mother, you can't have one. You can't have none. 
You can't have one without the This week in drama, we have the pilot or first episode, I should say, of Black Mirror, the national anthem, Parenthood, the Ring, Boardwalk Empire, Havre de Grace, um, Masters of Sex, Love and Marriage, and The Good Wife, the next month. And uh, now Black Mirror is a show that aired in the UK. The first series was what, like last year or the year before? I think it was quite a while ago. Like It could have been 2011 even. Yeah, and and the the second series aired this past February, but it's just airing in the U.S. and uh, Canada now. The first season on Directv. Yes. So that is why we're talking about it. Had you been familiar with this series before this? I I hadn't seen any of it. I'd heard a lot about it, and I'd heard of this Charlie Brooker fellow. Who I don't know if you've seen any of. It. He's done a whole slew of series and i've seen none of them have you seen any of them no i haven't the 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 main series for charlie brooker that eventually i'm sure will come up on the dvd shelf is dead set which is sort of a what if the the real world happened during the zombie apocalypse and uh or or i should say big brother happens during the zombie apocalypse and uh i've been meaning to catch up with that one for quite a while of course charlie brooker also co-wrote nathan barley which we did talk about on the dvd shelf but no i i hadn't seen any of his other um you know his other main work i i enjoyed this now for those who don't know black mirror is a sort of twilight zoney anthology series yeah, I mean, there was a brief debate about whether to stick it in drama or genre, and technically speaking, there's nothing supernatural in this episode or outright genre-y, but I kind of associate anthology storytelling like this with genre. I can't really think of a series that's ever done it as straight-up drama, and I feel like, and from what I've seen, there are elements in other episodes that will take it outright into the realm of genre, but for now it's in drama, so get used to it. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the hell out of this premiere. Lots of familiar faces from other series, The Thick of It, etc. Game of Thrones. Um, if you, pay, although, again, this was probably filmed before any of those appearances we're familiar with. It's an interesting notion to take what feels like initially a very somber setup, and then taking it somewhere absolutely ludicrous and insane, and then following it through in a totally serious fashion. I think uh, I. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was kind of glued to my seat the entire time. I was like, I need to know where this is going. I must absolutely know how this ends. Unfortunately, I already knew. And that really, I think, affected my viewing of it. Um, because have, knowing what was going to happen, I, I it, it seemed more ridiculous uh, I was less engaged because I, I knew what would happen. So I, I, you know, I wasn't in the situation of, what would you do? Uh, which I should have been. I that's I think that's a me thing, not a the show thing. Clearly. But but no, I thought that was really good. And like you said, I really like this cast. You know, especially for me, one of the standouts here is Lindsay Duncan, who I always enjoy. But I thought it was fantastic as sort of the 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 top aide or the um, chief of staff of our our PM here. Uh, the the whole conceit is is rather. It's it's ridiculous and absurd, and I think it's also very interesting because it feels like it's... I don't think this is a story you could necessarily translate to the U.S. I don't think there's a U.S. equivalent that would work of a figure... Because you don't... Of course, we don't have the royal family. So I don't know... 
I don't think this could be translated into the U.S. So I was thinking about that while I was watching it. So it feels distinctly British to me. And that, and that's interesting as well. It, it's just occurred to me. Should we explain to anyone what the actual problem is? Well, okay. Well, how about we say it like this? So the if a beloved princess, think Princess Diana, basically, but younger, um, is kidnapped and being held ransom. And she's going to be killed if at a certain time... The prime minister does not go onto national television live and perform a sexual act he does not want to. Um, and that's all we'll say, because I think the specifics of that are one of the things that need to be seen. It should be a surprise. <laughs> yes. Although it should be said that it, in case you're worried about like Serbian film style torture porn, it's it's not that. It's tastefully shot. <laughs> it is. Very distinct camera angles and all of that. Um, anyways, so so it's all about, you know, what do you do? What, you know, what is the right thing? I'm surprised that um, we didn't hear from a certain um, lobby group or a certain subset of the population. In the United States, you would have heard from... Uh, and that's all I can say without spoiling it. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I get that. The, I mean, I feel like if it, was, if it was the U.S., the only thing you could really do would be to abduct like the president's daughter or something. Yeah, that's... but, but it would have to be the president going on. I mean, I just feel like that would never happen. If it was the U.S., it would, it would never happen. The person would be killed. Um, uh, so it's just, it's really interesting. And I don't know if that's just a, if that's a U.S. British Britain thing, or if that's just the difference in perception of what, you know, I don't know, but it's, it's certainly, this got me thinking in a way that very few other, you know, things that I've seen recently have gotten me pondering, like what would in the real world, what would happen? Yeah. Th th there is like a slight, what worries me about this premiere in terms of the future of the show is there is just a touch of finger wagging going on yeah like, like not very specific but just vague aren't the times messed up finger wagging which like it's not a huge it's not a deal breaker but it's definitely present and i'm worried it's going to get worse well and the 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 vague element of it is what makes it the worst you know so it's sort of nondescript so you can hope that more people will agree with you as opposed to actually making a distinct point um so yeah, I see that as well. Uh, but I, I did think it was very enjoyable, and um, I hope more people check it out. I haven't yes. heard anybody talking about it, so this is this is happening right now, guys. Check well, it and out. If anyone had watched it, they'd be talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Anything else about Black Mirror, or shall we move on to Parenthood? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to what the future has on that one. For Parenthood, we got let's see we got the stuff with the ring which was probably actually the least interesting corner of the show this week i thought mm -hmm. we had uh the the revelation that uh, victor is going to be dropped back to fourth grade and right which was actually i thought a really nicely done scene that could have been really poorly handled yeah, and the, I, we started out the season complaining about the Julia and Joel stuff. Um, and in my review at Sound of Sight this week, actually, I, I'm a little concerned about that still, but in a different way. I think they've got a Joel problem, and I'm curious what you think about this, but his behavior this week seems to come out of nowhere. He's really extreme in, in his frustration with Julia, and because we have been in her 
perspective for much of the season. We are seeing her by herself and we're seeing her talk about, you know, what sort of where she's at with various characters. He's coming out of nowhere. And so this anger that he has at her feels completely just out of out of the blue for me. And so so while I'm completely on board with how they're treating her, and I think that's actually become a really nuanced and interesting part of the show, I'm worried that they're just putting him into stock villain role. Yeah, that's definitely a fair concern. We we've spent he I mean, he's spent so much time at work that we haven't Yeah. We haven't really checked in with him to see what's happening. So, you know, it's it's almost like we're put in a position where we can't help but root for her to, you know, go off with what's his name. Well, I'm not rooting for her to go off with what's his name, but I'm I'm on her side. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, he's off at work all the time. That, that, you know, makes sense. That is all good. I just don't understand. He seems like he's always been portrayed as a really, uh, as a really great dad. So if he's off at work all the time, why does he think he knows the situation better than she does? Right. There's Which, no I, sense of that. I feel like there will be reconciliation on that point at some point. Uh -huh. I mean, it's, it's a long season. Yeah. So uh, they're just, I, I feel like they're they're trying to force conflict out of it for a little while yeah. before that happens. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see where it, what happens with it. But, um, and, and, and the, the best arguments are where both sides have merit. And he definitely has merit that she just makes these big decisions for everyone. She's very decisive and she just acts because she knows best. And... And that that is absolutely valid, except that he's not been around at all. So why shouldn't she do that? Right. Yeah. And so you know, it, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. It's hard for to support his point of view on it when when his his argument is completely valid, but the support for his argument has no legs. It is without legs. They need to call up the leg factory and get a couple to stand on. Yeah. So so I, I I'm liking that element, but I don't. You know, I still have some questions and marks about it. Any other thoughts? Uh, with what we have, we have Lauren Graham spending t Sarah spending time with Zeke and also new potential love interest. Um, and we have more. I was glad that we didn't have Oliver this week. What did you think of uh, the ballet? Uh, that stuff was cute. I mean, I don't care about Lauren Graham's new love interest. Yeah, really, I don't. really don't. I don't think anyone does. Uh, I was quite happy with having Ray Romano around, and they've just screwed the pooch on that for a little while. So, I don't know. Again, I, I'm not sure if they're adjusting to the whole super long season thing really well, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, you've seen next week's episode, so you know more about how it all shakes out. Yeah, and I think it's a good it's it's a good end to um, this phase of the season. It's the episode is called Election Night, so you can imagine. You know, we get an answer one way or the other with the Christina storyline. And there's also some, some good movement. There's some really nice, there's some really good Mac stuff this week, uh, as well as further development of certain long-running arcs for the season. Um, I, I have no idea what they're going to do next after this. I'm, I don't, like, I can, there's certain things that are, you know, there's plenty left unresolved, but I'm not sure how they're going to approach the next segment of the season. I guess I'm very interested to see where that goes. Um, but in general, I thought it was a solid episode. Boardwalk Empire, Harvard of Grace. Underline board. Oh my God. Yeah. Boardwalk Empire is, uh, th this is the second to last episode of the season and I'm just not engaged with the characters I'm supposed to be engaged with. And I don't know if that's my fault for jumping in on season four, but I don't know that that's something you shouldn't, I feel like you should be able to do that. Uh, I mean, I'm having a, the same problem, and I've watched it from the beginning, so it's not just you. I mean, the 
this 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 show does not subscribe to the wire school of stuffing everything into the penultimate episode. It shoves some things into ultimate episodes and then putters away for another season. The whole resolution to the Gretchen Mall storyline is just uh, it just reinforces for me the fact that they just wrote that whole thing just to give that character that thing to do this season. It didn't it didn't connect in a meaningful way to anything else, and it's it just really reinforced for me that she's so far outlived her natural course on the show so long ago. I actually really liked what she had to do this this week, but I I I agree. The reveal was a surprise and I thought it was beautifully played by all involved. Um and and it answered the question of to me of why why is Ron Livingston here? Um however, I don't see where they go next. You know, why Yes, it was it was very well played and really interesting, but with all of this stuff going on, why did we need to see this? It looked for a minute there like she was going to tie in with the Pernsley stuff with the heroin, but then it steered back away from that. So, like, are, is she just not? Is she just in jail and not on the show next year? I mean, why? Yeah, why is an excellent question. And and I don't think because they're really good actors and they do a good job is enough of a reason. Yeah, no, that's. That's the thing with Boardwalk Empire. They do a lot of things just because they can, not because it needs is to happen. Partic- not because it needs to happen or because it's particularly great stuff. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, all the it, same goes for Chalky and his old old pals in that house in the country, which, again, lots of great acting and good writing and stuff. But it was literally a detour. Yeah. It was a literal plot detour. So that we could have anything other than the showdown, which we know is going to happen. Yeah, and no one believes for a second that he's not that he's going to go off into the sunset with daughter and just run away. That's clearly not going to happen. So the show trying to get us to think that at all, I think it's just sort of a disservice to its viewers. Yeah, and also, I I, I think I'm thinking the wrong thing when we get to that scene and he's just like, we should just go. And I think we're supposed to find it like romantic and sweet. But all I'm thinking is. You're a dick. <laughs> yeah. Family's back there. Yeah. Whole family. You're just yeah. going to leave? Really? You're just going to leave? Really? Yeah. But yep. espe- especially since we have no idea what happened with his kids and Narcisse. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Boardwalk Empire. So frustrating. Yep. But Sally's still awesome. Sally is still awesome. Um, let's move on to Masters of Sex, Love and Marriage. I thought it was stronger this week actually than last week and i wanted to specifically highlight julian nicholson who i know everyone's been freaking out about allison janney and like she's she's been good but i find some of the dialogue in some of her scenes to be really overwrought especially especially in that bar scene which is one of my least favorite scenes the show's done so far maybe that's just me but that speech was just way too much i don't care if she was supposed to be drunk or not Mm -hmm. didn't work for me but uh, julian nicholson i think has done a great job just embodying that character's quiet humanity in a way that when we first meet her, she seems so cold and frigid and it seems almost cartoonish, but, and and she hasn't lost that, but she's found ways to sort of incorporate these other elements. And, you know, when we find out about her diagnosis, it should be this really grown worthy, soapy, broad twist, but it actually works because it's played so quietly and so deftly by her and by the writers. So I've, and, and, and it explains so much in a way that isn't too neat, although it's a little bit neat. So yeah. uh, that stuff was great. And it explains her brusque behavior because she doesn't have time. 
to, yes. to, to, to deal with any of this stuff. She doesn't care and she doesn't have the time. And so she's not going to. And, uh, and, and so without changing any element of who that character is or the performance from, from Julianne Nicholson, we understand where she's coming from now. And they do it with no dialogue, with just a simple, you know, you know, just a simple shot of her putting those slides away and then closing the, the, the folder. And that's all mm -hmm. you need. And I absolutely agree. She's been fantastic. I was really excited when she showed up on Boardwalk Empire for an episode. And then she hasn't really been on it since. So it was disappointing. I'm glad that she's getting so much more to do here. And uh, I'm also glad that we didn't have the Ginny and Doctor, I don't remember her name, Julian Nicholson, team up and, you know, defeat the boys club. It doesn't look like it's happening. So I'm, I was glad to, to, to see that. Do you think she's going to falsify Ginny's records? I'm kind of hoping she just passes her through, like just says, no, you can pass out of my class. And that, that resolves the, the Dr. Masters, you know, request that she not be busy with coursework all the time while not screwing over someone who clearly already knows this material. Uh, yeah, that would be a nice development. The, I, I liked all the stuff with, uh, like you said, the boys club, you know, Ethan and Austin sort of snickering through her lecture was appropriately horrible. Yep. Uh, let's talk about Ethan again, because we love to talk about that. <laughs> I Maybe it's just me being, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I kind of feel like I'm starting to get this sense that that they know what they're doing with Ethan, and I'm just, and we're just, you know, we're poking holes at something that's not done being developed yet, but I might, I don't know, am I just optimistic here? Well, we, we discussed this earlier, a little earlier in the week, and you have a theory. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, this this week we get his terrified engagement which was in the context of this episode hilarious but it, it, it's it's kind of funny how everything that's wrong with that character right now would be resolved if he just hits her and yeah. then everything makes sense and everything ties back to the pilot and then all of our complaints from before were totally invalid yeah yeah exactly so if something happens where he obviously she's in such you know people pleaser mode right now that that's not going to happen. But if something happens and there's a legitimate conflict and argument and then he hits her, then, then all of a sudden everything's in the context of, yes, he can be an abuser who also is this and seemingly charming and, and really nice. And television doesn't like to show domestic abuse as being perpetrated by people who are anything other than instantly recognizable much like all pedophiles have those cre that creepy mustache. Yes. Um, and uh, and all people who are always mean and always, you know, st cold or something. So yeah. you, Pe People like their monsters monstrous. Yes. And so if that's where they're going, then they get all of all of the praise because th that's something that is never really done on television. And I'm anticipating that so much that <laughs> this is horrible. But if I'm watching Masters of Sex at Home... And he punches her in the face. I'm actually going to cheat because <laughs> it's just going to be such good writing. <laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible. We really, you know, she's such a sweet character. We really don't want that to happen to her. But it would also, yeah, be the smart play. So. Yeah, and and the other thing is that I, I guess I'm I'm frustrated with the show if they don't go that way. Um, but I think I'm even more frustrated with none of the other critics I know caring. <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah, know well, anybody else who care who's bothered by Ethan. Well, let's also be clear that no one is watching this show. Like it's been renewed, yeah, which is great, but like the ratings are insanely low, like dismally, crazily low. 
So uh, it's lucky for them they've already been renewed. So I, I'm not surprised there's not a huge amount of conversation around that. Uh, I didn't really like the stuff with Libby and Walter the Handyman. I mean, the, their last scene was was uh, really nicely played, but I don't know. I, I, I'm always suspicious of writing, you know, the the few black characters they have as being overly saintly. I mean, he's even a widower. Which was just, I don't know, felt like a step too far, actually. I think he's just a widower so that we think that she might, you know, establish a relationship with him. Mm, it feels like he's a widower so that he can be sort of more ideal, but... Okay. I don't know. It's just, it, he felt like a sanitized character to me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, do we have any thoughts on Libby's pregnancy? Uh, other than that it's doomed again and it's going to be horrible again? Uh, no, not really. Okay, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, I, I also like this episode and uh, thought for the most part it was, it was really strong. I'm liking the continued development of the Bill and Ginny relationship. I think that's actually working pretty well. Um, they're avoiding some of the pitfalls I was worried about. So I, I, I'm still very much on board with Masters of Sex. And that last scene with, with William and Ginny was, I think, one of the best they've done. I think does a lot to explain their dynamic in ways that other parts of the show haven't done yeah i yeah these these two seem very suited shall we say so yeah i would agree let's move on to the good wife the next month and this was originally called ice ice baby which would have been a so much better title but uh they <laughs> wanted to keep in the theme of the next day the next week whatever uh I, it was so great to have america Ferrera back i thought and um it might have been a bridge, one too many reversals with Eli at the end, but just watching Alan Cumming be flustered is just really effective, <laughs> so I didn't really care. What did you think? I, I don't really remember what happened with those characters the last time she was on the show. Can someone remind me? A love interest, basically, uh, very briefly. And then she just left? Then she then she left, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I figured. Um, yeah, all that stuff was great. I mean, I'm, I always worry about Eli and love interest because it's so hit and miss and miss and miss and miss. Yeah, but, but she's, from, as far as I'm concerned, she's the hit, the only hit the show has had for him with that. Maybe. Although, yeah, what, what, what's the age difference between those two? I can't help but ask. It's quite fast. It's significant. It's significant enough that it's, you know, somewhat creepy for me, especially since he has a young daughter, teenage <laughs> daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm going to try not to think about that. But uh, the rest of the episode was really good. The uh, God, Robin has to be the MVP this week. She's so badass. Uh, love it. I love that they're just not even they're not even trying. They're just totally making her the new Kalinda. And now we're just going to have two Kalindas. Well, I like I, I, I feel like she should have like a WWKD bracelet and just like channel like, you know, it feels like Kalinda is her, her, you know, spirit totem or whatever this week. And uh, it's, it's just, it's just great. It's such a great performance from Jess Wexler. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see, to see her, you know, not just sort of wilt back like she initially, you know, seems to do, but just really find her inner Kalinda and channel it. It's great. I also really like what we get with the running back and forth between court. It was clearly a message episode talking about you know the ridiculous you know ins and outs of our immigration policy but it, it was done with a light enough touch that it didn't really bother me yeah like i was never thinking about the message of course i'm not american so none of this really affects me but uh yeah i, I, I was i would never felt like they were you know in a, in a black mirror style finger wagging and saying isn't this wrong we should really fix this it was more like presenting the absurdity and letting you come to that conclusion yourself which was always good uh, i actually really like will's girlfriend i think she's a good character 
and uh, having showed the appropriate response to David Lee, which is always an, a, a good uh, a, a good testament. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm loving David Lee. I just uh, such a great performance from Zach Renier. And um, I know our reviewer Jordan at Sound on Sight is not a big fan of that character or or even the performance at this point. But what? I know I love him. He's great, right? Jordan, he is great. I, you're in Crazy Town, as far as I'm concerned. Very well argued and written Crazy Town. Um, but yeah, I, I, every every moment with that character, I enjoy. I, I was disappointed to see uh, America Ferrera's character bring in uh, her business to Lockhart Gardner. LG, uh, LG, no, no, Lockhart Gardner. Mm-hmm. LG is just stupid. It sounds ugh, it's not a good not a good branding. Also, already a company. Yeah, there was a, just a little bit of location shooting as well this week as they're driving through town. I'm like, oh, I know where that is. It's, it's always a little off, you know. It's always a little strange when they actually show some Chicago in this Chicago set series. Um, but I think it's very intentional having a new, you know, New York branch is going to let them have a lot of location shooting and open up new possibilities for them. So that sort of makes sense, even if the whole Lockhart Gardner was declaring bankruptcy earlier this year and now they're expanding. Doesn't make any sense. Um, still, I yeah, you know, I'll I'll give it to him. Any other thoughts on this week's episode? Uh, nope. Uh, I, lots of good, lots of good stuff as always. Yep, and uh, lots. Uh, there's even more really great scoring this week that I was noticing and enjoying. So once again, uh, always enjoying the the music and the use of music on on the Good Wife. So what wins your week in drama? Um, hmm. I kind of feel like giving it to Black Mirror just because. I had no idea I was going to be watching it, and it was such a nice surprise. Okay, I'm going to give it to Good Wife, I think. Uh, I had a lot of fun with, with it this week, and uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens next. I'm very interested. Um, a few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Jason Griffin, the TV-aholic. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find this post up at soundonsite.org, where you can leave us comments, let us know what you thought about the week's television, and let us know if you're, you know, what happened, what the deal is with that screenplay on Eastbound, and if you're watching Black Mirror, and all, all of that good stuff. Um, you can also find us on iTunes. We have an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed. We would love any feedback you could give us there. Please leave a rating or review. It does help other people find the show you can also find us on facebook uh we're, we're there i'm not i haven't been posting but we're there and i will post again eventually uh you can also find us of course on twitter i'm at the televerse you are at sucker hell and you can always email us the televerse at gmail.com simon what is our question of the week well our uh fr- friend of the show i guess you could say mo ryan uh, just wrote a thing about uh, agents of shield and her complaints about the show and her feeling like it's just not going to get better at this point it's what eight episodes in seven episodes in something like that yeah i'm wondering what people think is like the point of no return like when do you when do you just say enough is enough i mean maybe it varies depending on whether or not there's joss whedon involvement (laughs) or i don't know yeah what's 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 your personal point of no return for a show you were previously excited for interesting well i mean we know i stuck through six episodes of ringer so that, that apparently six. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> Let us know. That's a great question. Um, now we're going to take a break and listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Jason Griffin, the TV holic, to talk the IT crowd or the it crowd. What is it? This gen. It's the internet. <laughs> what? That's right. This is the internet. <laughs> the whole internet. <laughs> yep. 
I asked for a loan of it so that you could use it in your speech. It's so small. That's one of the surprising things about it. Hang on. It doesn't have any wires or anything. It's wireless. Oh, yes, everything's wireless nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. So I can really use it in my speech. What if someone needs it? Oh, no, no. People will still be able to go online and everything. It'll still work. Oh, good. <laughs> I tell you, you present this to the shareholders and you will get quite a response. Mm. Can I touch it? It's so light. Of course it is, Jen. The internet doesn't weigh anything. <laughs> no, of course it doesn't. <laughs> hey! What is Jen doing with the internet? Mar said I could use it for my speech. Are you insane? What if she drops it? I won't drop it. I'll look after it. No, 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 Jen. No, this, this needs to go straight back to Big Ben. Big Ben? It goes on top of Big Ben. That's where you get the best reception. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD Shelf, we are happy to welcome back Jason Griffin, one of our previous guests, this week to talk the IT crowd. Uh, Jason, of course, the TV holic. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's been a long time coming. It's been a while. We've, now, for those who don't know, a little peek behind the curtain. When we originally asked Jason on, we said, "What show do you want to talk about?" He said, "Oh, definitely the IT crowd." And and the quick Google search showed that there was still another special coming. So we've been yeah. waiting for this show to end for like I want to say <laughs> two like years at least, now. Yeah, a couple years. <laughs> what made you want to talk about the IT crowd? Or is it crowd, IT crowd? What's the preferred nomenclature? I'm not sure. I think it, you know, it, it plays both ways. It's the, the it crowd is what it's a play on. But mm -hmm. uh, I've always called it the IT crowd, I guess. But I, I don't know what the... Uh... I've seen both. Yeah, I, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> the Wikipedia page gives the phonetic spellings of both, <laughs> which I kind of love. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Back when I watched it the first time... Uh, you know, I'd heard about it some, and uh, when I watched the first episode, I just think I watched most of, like, the first season, like, right in a row, and I think within, you know, like a week, all my free time was filled up with uh, <laughs> watching all 24 episodes of the of it, and just, you know, couldn't wait for the next episode, and they're, I think they're all hilarious, and, uh, you know really well done there's like i would say out of the 24 there's like very few uh that you know don't really work you know that mm -hmm. most of them work really well yeah it's a fun show it's one that i had i had heard of but i hadn't seen any of until you know the the special came out and i was like okay it's time Let's watch this all. Let's get Jason on the podcast. Um, cause, and I just, let me just state up front. I worked IT for three years. 
uh, that was my grad assistantship when I was in college. So I, I answered the help desk and that I'm sure informed my reaction to the series. <laughs> but it's one that I had heard about and I watched, I think, like an episode. I tried to watch the first episode back, I think, while I was working IT. Uh, there was there was some downtime to kill in during grad school. And I just I just turned it. I watched the first episode. I might not have even gotten all the way through and I just turned it off because it was incredibly annoying to me. Because I, uh, I, I didn't have any familiarity with the cast yet, which is a completely, op- the completely opposite of what my current reaction to it was. And I think I was seeing, you know, not being familiar with the comedic sensibilities of some of these people. I was seeing things in it that were really frustrating to me, like the, oh, the girl knows nothing about computers and the people who do know about computers are completely incompetent as far as, you know, like socially or they're slobs and the stereotyping in it was really, um, really a turnoff for me. So I just, you know, I just didn't try to watch any more of it. And I kept hearing all this praise. I heard about the, you know, the infamous terrible attempt at a remake and so when I went to dive in, I was actually very pleasantly surprised to really enjoy the show. And I'm sure we'll get into a bit of some of, you know, these different... Watching it this time, I was hugely aware of, of course, Chris O'Dowd, who's one of the one of the main leads. Richard Iwate, who big fan of him as well. He's the other male lead. And then both of the, the boss figures, I'm, you know, they, they're all in... They're in the same sort of comedic, British comedic group, as it were. And having seen more of their work, um, you know, because of the the DVD shelf, I was much more on board this time. So it was it was actually really interesting to me, just how varied my reaction was this time. I watched the pilot and went, "Wait, why did I have a problem with this the first time?" <laughs> I that was very silly. So it was it was actually pretty interesting. But before I continue rattling on too much longer, Simon, had you seen any of the IT crowd or the IT crowd? No, I hadn't. But like you. Kate, I had an immense familiarity with everyone involved. I mean, Chris Morris is, of course, in the first chunk as the as the boss before he gets replaced by Matt Berry, who I also love. Chris Morris is a genius. I'm not I'm not ex- exaggerating. I actually do think that. And I I really like Richard Ayoade, who's actually turned out to be a pretty interesting filmmaker. Uh, so it, it's interesting for me to see him in a straight up sitcom format, complete with a laugh track. And yes, we're. Also familiar with Chris O'Dowd. The only person I, I hadn't seen before is Catherine Parkinson, who I don't think I recall seeing anything else. And I think because of those constituent parts, I really, 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 really wanted to love this show. And I just kind of like it. I think it's all right. I think it's got, you know, obviously the cast is incredible and they've got really great chemistry, especially, you know, actually, I think they, they get the chemistry right pretty much off the bat. But it's not a slam dunk for me, and and not only because of of the laugh track, which I really don't need. And I I know it's fashionable once again to, or rather, it's unfashionable to say that laugh tracks are are annoying, and you know it's you're not giving due respect to the history of the sitcom, etc. But I think in the modern day, you really have to justify having a laugh track, and I'm not sure this does. But that's neither here nor there. I think that it has a f- some episodes are stronger than others. I think that over it may, might just be my imagination, but it feels like over the course of the show, the characters go from being sort of average misfits to being sort of Seinfeldian over the top assholeish misfits. Maybe I'm imagining that, and they were just always like that from the beginning, and I wasn't seeing it. But I'm not, sh- and I, I think that's a totally defensible evolutionary course for a show to take. But I don't think it actually made it any funnier. 
And I think that's especially egregious in the last couple of episodes, including the special, which I believe is called The Internet is Coming, uh, which is an hour-long finale, which they finally did, which enabled us to do the shelf. Uh, so, but I, I don't want to do too much bitching because I, I'm not, I won't lie. I did laugh a lot, but there were some other elements here and there that I found less savory that got in the way of my enjoyment. Well, I think some of those things come from, you know, between season three and season four is almost a year or over a year. And then you have a couple years from that to the, to the final and that there are only six episodes. So there's large chunks of time, uh, between each season that, the, series, the Jason, people, series. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Between uh, each one that uh, you have, you know, there's a lot of changes just for the actors over the course. You know, they've gone on and done other things and and stuff, and they're coming back to these, you know, the way, you know, British TV works, uh, you know, to do another to do another season that, you know, each season kind of changes. Uh, they look a little different. The, the set's a little different, <laughs> you know, it's uh, from from season to season. Well, the posters change anyway. <laughs> well, it, it's fun to watch this and sort of chart. You, like, as you're watching it, you can sort of see the rise in profile, particularly of Chris O'Dowd and Richard Iwate, just based on the character design and just, like, the way they're dressed and stuff. So, so Chris O'Dowd becomes more kempt as the series goes on and his hair looks better and all of that and then Richard Ayoade his hair gets more ridiculous as he becomes the character and I would actually agree Simon I think especially Jen I noticed this with but with all the characters they do sort of become more broad as the series continues but as as people are more familiar with Richard Ayoade I could at least that's what it seemed like to me his hair gets more ridiculous. He gets, you know, more extreme in his behaviors. And uh, I thought that was actually a fun bit of, like, meta watching, you know, meta enjoyment for me. I feel like I should talk about, I mean, unless, let me know if this isn't of interest to you guys, but I feel like I should talk about the couple of things that this show gets absolutely right and the show gets absolutely wrong from an IT perspective. Oh, go for it, because I don't think either of us has the background. Yeah, so... Have you have you turned it on or turned it off and turned it on? I loved that. It was beautiful and perfect. And at least when I was working IT, it solves like ninety five percent of the problems. <laughs> I wish I was exaggerating, but that there's a reason that 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 is a running gag on this show, and that it's a running gag with IT everywhere. And that's because it works. And is it plugged in? Is a, a was a solution to a call somebody made once they just it wasn't they just didn't they didn't notice so like some of the the actual you know th ways that they're interacting with obviously if you actually behaved that way to the people you were trying to help you would get fired instantly uh, which is a big way it's wrong i mean it's funnier that way which is why they do it but um just the some of the technical issues that they discuss and and the desire to have a just a recorder recording uh playing have you turned it on and turned it off uh, i absolutely identify with that and i thought it was hilarious and amazing now the ways in which it's incorrect or inaccurate to me and this obviously was never going to happen on the show because then you wouldn't have the show they wanted to make but Actually, in my experience, and granted it's limited experience, but in my experience working IT, I was the only nerd in my office. There was not another nerd. There was like I, I was so excited when I got the when I got the assistantship because I was like, oh great, I will be amongst 
my people and I was amongst a bunch of really awesome, great people, but like I think one person watched Lost and that was it. I was like, I could talk Battlestar, I can talk Lost, I can talk Buffy with my none. Not even like Star Trek, like nothing. So actually in some ways I thought it found really interesting which elements of the IT experience they completely nailed, which they were just hugely wrong on. But I think that those elements, while I had an extra enjoyment for the things that got right, things that got wrong didn't really bother me because it just it's very standard sitcom stuff. Well, the the IT setting, I kind of feel, becomes increasingly arbitrary over the course of the show. Yeah. A lot of the show's not even about, you know, the <laughs> yeah. IT. Yeah, no, like, like I would say the last episode that kind of touches on that was the speech, which, oh. I, wanna, which I want to get back to at some point, yeah. which obviously relies heavily on the internet as a box, which I th- was a pretty awesome plot device. But after that, you know, the, the, I, the IT elements are setting are... They they could be working anywhere for many of the episodes. They could be hanging out in a bar or a coffee shop. <laughs> yes, or just anyone's basement, really. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, what what did, what were the standout moments for you guys? What are the elements? Because obviously, the have you turned it on, turned it off, turned it off, and turned it on? That I should say was a big that always worked for me. Were there certain elements of the show that always worked for you guys? Well, that obviously always worked because that that's always. Uh... That's always funny. And they do a nice job of, you know, where it starts out that way and they bookend it when, in the special by ending the episode with the with that line. But uh, some of the things that I liked were just that, like, over the course of the series, Jen would be, you know, dating various guys. And inevitably, one of the other two would say something or do something that would make her see them in a different light. And then she would know <laughs> she would end up breaking up with them or something because of something, you know, kind of innocuous or something like that but all of a sudden it would just be you know like the episode the uh, where, they, where they say <laughs> you're dating the magician <laughs> you know, was it michael the magnificent or something like that yeah <laughs> Moss oh. says. yeah but there was just a there was a, a lot of those but i think my favorite episode of all of them is the dinner party which is all just a setup for the guy's name being peter file yes <laughs> <laughs> but it just the way it's delivered and when Moss delivers the line maybe they say pedophile in America maybe you should move there <laughs> because <laughs> they keep going who's a pedophile Peter file it's Peter file that's right just uh I almost died watching that it's such a simple episode. pun but yeah, yeah <laughs> it, at least it doesn't get old at least for and me because it comes out of nowhere he just says, what's your email address? And he's like, file.peter at, and your your mind instantly goes, that's Peter, his name is Peter File. <laughs> and then it, it, by the time your brain fit, picks it up, they just uh, go off and it's going around the table. And then, uh, you know, once again, or like in many of the episodes, Jen tries to blow it off. But then once she tries to go away with him for the weekend, she just can't get over that one little <laughs> fact, and so, yeah, you know, leaves him to go. Yeah, well, and I also have to commend them for not getting Jen and Roy together. I was ever, yeah. so glad that never happened, and you know it would and will if they ever make a U.S. version. But I was so glad they never even went there. 
Well, I, I think as long as we're talking about stuff that consistently works, anything that involves them in the office hanging out, just sort of jabbing at each other on any subject, I think that stuff generally works and is generally a, at least worth a chuckle. I think the problems arise generally when they stray from the office, and some of that does extend to, to Jen's dating life um, and some other sort of, uh, I, I guess, the dating lives of, of, of other characters. For instance, there's uh, an episode where... Jen starts dating this guy who the other guys are quite certain is gay based on his taste in magazines and theater. And a lot of that episode, I I hate to say, is kind of premised on the idea that it's funny because it's really, really gay. And I, I, I think that they were trying for something else and it just kind of landed a bit wrong for me that I, I felt similarly, although in a more extreme way about the episode where um, the Matt Berry character falls for this woman who turns out to be transgendered. Uh, and actually, it's the same episode as it's the speech, which the speech to me is the is the perfect example of, of the IT crowd for me, because it's got some of their funniest stuff and some of their stuff that I found the hardest to watch. Like, I I didn't find Matt Berry punching out a transgendered woman in the office terribly funny. Sorry. It's like this is an issue I have with other British comedy series, too, where whenever they stray into the into the topic of sexuality, it can get a bit dicey. And I found that with the IT crowd sometimes. Yeah, well, for me, you're, the, you're talking about the, the work outing uh, episode, the season two premiere or series two premiere. Uh, that, there you uh, go. <laughs> that, uh, um, but what, while they do end up going to gay, a gay musical, uh, that really what worked for me in that episode had nothing really to do with that. It was the going to the, the bathroom it, of the disabled. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was Roy. Uh, that's the other thing throughout the episodes. It was one of the two of them would end up doing something that's not overly that bad, but then make one bad decision within that or something would go wrong. You know, like Roy using the disabled restroom and thinking he's flushing the toilet, but pulling the emergency lever. And then when people show up, he doesn't know what to do. And so, so he doubles down yeah, so he, as, as, as you would do, he, he, he uh, pretends to be disabled and then even more so that he got his wheelchair stolen on top of that. Uh, but how that plays out in the episode, but yet, meanwhile, at the same time, Moss ends up using the staff restroom and getting mistaken for staff. And by the end of the episode, he's working the bar at the theater. And Jim's looking around going, what is going on? And, and that actually, stuff really I, I, works. All that stuff really works. And I think the payoff, when she shows up at the bar is quite elegant. It's just some of those other elements here and there I find a little bit unsavory. Although the one thing within the sort of uh, the gay storyline that did kind of work is they set it up at the beginning with Moss says something about, you sure he doesn't think you're a man? And they pay that off uh, with a, you know, with a joke at the end of the episode. Whether you think the joke works or not, that style of setting things up that you don't realize it's just sort of, it seems like a throwaway line in the beginning, but then they tie it up with that at the end. Uh, I think worked in a lot of episodes. Yeah. They're really good at their structuring, I would say. And uh, they're, I would say there's a, there's a good, you know, solid basis to pretty much uh, all of their, all of their comedy. While this is, this is not one of the shows I wouldn't put this in the top five like comedic discoveries for me on on the dvd shelf it is i think one of the more consistent and reliable 
of the shows, and I could definitely see why it garnered such a large, like, sort of cult following people. Because if you if you like the show, if, you know, and I, I think we we've already said this, but maybe it should be reiterated, they do get that immediate core dynamic in the first episode. They all they almost immediately have that rapport down, and that's something that takes most shows quite a while to really establish. Um, so if you like that dynamic and you like the first episode, you're probably going to like the entire run. Yeah, yeah. because based on the way that a, a U.S. sitcom would work, you know, it would have been season three for this, or series three for this show by the time it got good. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have 12 episodes to sort of work into everything, and and everybody figures out who's good at what and and uh, and everything that way. Simon mentioned the speech. Uh, that's another one of my favorite episodes because it also highlights the two different storylines going that end up, uh, you know, when the fight comes breaking through the wall and the internet <laughs> gets damaged, internet. <laughs> everybody freaks out. That worked a lot in a lot of episodes where where things just came out. Uh, in season four, I like the Bad Boys episode uh, just for the bet of that he can't go the whole day without saying, have you tried turning it off and on? And then get stuck next to a bomb, you know, a bomb robot that's not working, <laughs> and and he's he's yelling, you know, have you tried turning it off and on? And uh, that resolves it, by the way. <laughs> and and that Jen, you know, her friend is over stuck by this bomb, and she's like, I just won five pounds, uh, you know, that that type of stuff. But it also that also played into the episode with the. She had to call technical support to some place oh, and, yeah. and gets the technical support guy that is talking with some weird accent and you can't understand what he's uh, what he's saying. But they played that off with it wasn't necessarily an accent. It was just that he's talked really weird. I don't know. Just those types of episodes where they set something up in the beginning and they tie it off at the end. Uh, they were really good at. Yeah. And I. I... I gotta give uh, my my praise for the speech as well, just because. And I agree. I have. I also have similar issues with some of the gender politics in the show, uh, Simon. So I I'm absolutely right there with you. Um, the speech, though, about the internet. I present the internet. I I don't want to say I nearly died, but I was <laughs> substantially entertained <laughs> by not only. Just like the whole lead up to it, you know, the just the 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 rapport of the group as you know, they're, they're, as Roy and Moss are totally playing her. Um, I've I've called Stephen Hawking's. Oh well, if Stephen Hawking says it's okay, you know, like just the the build to to that final scene just is really successful to me. The the other element of the show, I fe- I really think we should talk about um the boss characters though. Uh, because I think there's, there's, I have some issues there, but I think my favorite part of the element to the entire series is actually just Richmond. Who <laughs> does he pop up? What in season two, series two? He pops up in uh, in season one. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Because the uh, the red the red door episode. <laughs> oh yes, and then yeah. Again in season four, and then in the finale. Yeah, I think he uh, th- he pretty much he disappears. I think in in season three, and then reappears in four, and and shows up in the. Uh, no fielding's a busy guy, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, just the, I enjoyed that entire Red Door episode. I love the re- recurring gag that he's 
basically a vampire? <laughs> um, or is he just a normal guy? But just like having him glide in and out of scenes and just the, the, the tag for that fourth episode of the green door. And we never find out what's behind <laughs> the green door and nobody knows what Richmond does, including Richmond. Uh, I just, I, I love that character. And that he started out as a, you know, an executive that was like the right hand man of the boss and, mm-hmm. and somehow ended up down, uh, down there. After uh, discovering cradle of filth. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was a good character. They had a lot of fun with that. You know, is is he, you know, a vampire? Is he just a goth? You know, what where where is he in this uh this sort of a spectrum of things? By the way, guys, the Cradle of Filth jokes work better if you've either heard Cradle of Filth or better yet, watched a Cradle of Filth music video. I just assumed sometime. they were fake. That's really Oh no. Band. No, they're a real band. Real ah, band. Okay. They're, actually, they're quite big in certain circles as you could infer from the show. But yes, that makes it so much better. Oh, I'm totally sending you some YouTube links when this is over. <laughs> well, that 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 goes into some of the things where there are clearly uh, some jokes that you don't quite get because it is a British comedy and you don't have the necessary knowledge to get the joke because you don't live over there. Uh, you're you don't have the same sort Cultural of era. background. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so some of those things fall a little flat. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, Simon, about the having a laugh track. I think for me, because I enjoyed these episodes so much and I was laughing, that I didn't notice uh, the laugh track. The laugh track on on comedies really bo- <laughs> they really bother me when they stand out because you're not laughing, and so you immediately hear, you know, this these people laughing at something that was clearly a really bad, you know, yeah, attempt at and, humor. You, and you have to wait for the laughter you're not sharing to end. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And that's, that's when, that's when the laugh track, uh, uh, really doesn't work for me when they sweeten it even more, you know, above what maybe the studio audience might've actually, uh, responded to a joke, yeah. uh, where, where every joke becomes, it's supposed, you know, everything is supposed to be the funniest thing ever when, you know, that can't possibly be true, but yet, the laugh track that they've added to it is supposed to make you think that. Um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that the laugh track bothered me on this, but I would say it's probably because I, I was laughing so much that I didn't notice it as, you know, that, yeah, that it was there. That's always the problem. It's the disconnect between your experience and what you're hearing. And if there's not a disconnect, then it's not going to bother you. If there is, that's, you know, it's more of an issue then that's what, that's where it's going to stand out and uh, be, more problematic. Um, what did you guys think about uh, first Chris Morris and then Matt Barry? Did you prefer one of the one character over the other? How did you feel like they worked with the group? I love Matt Barry. I think he's got one of the best voices in entertainment, if nothing else. But you can't beat Chris Morris. And I think he has one of the funniest line readings in any of the episodes. And I forget exactly what the line is, but he's having a having a meeting with everyone on the on the seventh floor. And he says something to the degree of, now I know this will bother some of you. And that's his entire thought. <laughs> and that's the sort of thing that Morris just nails. He's so good at these sort of characters that that you can't, you, that you just want to hate. But he's just too, he's too charismatic at being an asshole for you to really hate him. And I, I think it's, it's, I mean, I'm assuming that he left because he had a million other things to do. But 
I, I, I kind of wish they could have kept him around as odd as it was to see him in a straight up sitcom format. Cause I'm so used to seeing him doing his own thing on brass high or whatever. Yeah. And I, he worked for me a little better, uh, than, than Barry did as well. Uh, though I, again, I absolutely agree. I love Matt Barry's voice. My only issue with that character was that it was just, it, it was a funny note, but it was only that note. And who's that note at Fortissimo <laughs> the entire and, it, and it's kind of the same note we've seen him do on other shows, too. Like, it's not very far removed from his... Garth um, Marenghi. From, yeah. his Gar- from Garth Marenghi at all. Like, this sort of awkward, chubby sex god thing who doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah, I was hoping to see more range from him. Because uh, I'm sure he has it. And and so when I, as I was watching, I was enjoying the character. and I, But I had to keep reminding myself, because I was feeling a little disappointed. I had to remind myself the only reason I was disappointed was because I also I liked him so much on Garth Morangi that I was hoping to see something different so that I could enjoy him in a new way. And I was only enjoying him in the same way. I, 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 did, I did still enjoy the character. Uh, Jason, how about you? I think for me, when he first comes on board, he feels even way more over the top than for the show, which is odd mm. considering a lot of stuff is over the top, but it just seemed like bigger and uh, it didn't quite totally work for me at, at first, but I think over the course of it, you know, you, you kind of figured out what they were going to be doing with him. And, and uh, you know, they had some, they had some, some decent episodes, but I I'd say for the most part, when they were at work uh, and things were taking place up in the executive branch, I enjoyed that stuff less than watching, you know, Moss and Roy go, uh, you know, back and forth mm. down in the basement or, or you're seeing what they were, they were up to. When he, they were able to incorporate him with, with uh, Moss and Roy, it was more successful for me. Uh, and uh, I, <laughs> Moss, Jen, why are you drinking for hypnol? <laughs> it seems like a strange thing to drink uh was i think also one of my fun moments just like this i found a potion that a love potion it's like <laughs> this is just a date rape drug that's all this is <laughs> it was uh was pretty that actually worked pretty well for me i also like that they just they they don't try to make him likable at all he's charismatic the actor is very charismatic but he's just the worst <laughs> as, as our closing thought how did you guys feel like the the special wrap things up did, was I the only one who was kind of reminded of the Seinfeld finale? <laughs> I, that may sound that that may sound mean, but I actually don't think the Seinfeld finale was the worst thing ever. Uh, uh, well, if you're talking the 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 series four finale, yes, it definitely did. Oh no, I I, I mean the actual special. Oh, the actual special? No, yeah. I I thought the court case elements of the C- series four finale felt very reminiscent of of the Seinfeld finale, just because no, it was taking I, place in the, they were bringing. Uh, some character, you know, back and stuff like that. Actually, that's true. But I was thinking more about the, if, if I recall correctly, wasn't the Seinfeld finale also double length? Yeah, the, will... well, the Seinfeld finale was like 90 minutes or something like that. Or... But so it was longer it, and it had that same element of sort of putting its characters on public trial, which I, I know there was a literal trial in the series four finale, but here it was very much like the public knows who these people are and they behave very poorly. And of course it ends up not, they don't really go the same route as the last shot of Seinfeld did, <laughs> uh, but which I've, which actually I've, I've always admired weirdly, but uh, I don't know. I, the, the, the actual finale, the, the special they just did is okay, but I, I think it sort of pushes 
that what I was saying earlier about going well, actually the way you put it, Kate was good about going broader with the characters. It pushes that to its extreme where they're behaving more like characters on a Larry David show than they were necessarily at the beginning of series one. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it works as a wrap up because it brings back, you know, it brings back the internet <laughs> and it, you know, it brings back, uh, you know, Richmond makes an appearance and uh, it, you know, it hits on a lot of things from, you know, the series that, that had come before it. This extended episode, you know, sort of wrap-up thing is sort of become a staple of British comedies. Uh, you know, The Office uh, did it. Uh, you know, various other ones have ha- have done that as a, they don't have the ability to get everybody back for, you know, another six episodes or something like that. So they do, you know, this one final extended special. It was not surprising to me in that I agree it does feel like like a like a special one-off finale. I, I would have liked for it to be more in keeping with the tone of the show earlier, as far as just like it's setting and everything. I didn't need to have the whole world commenting on these characters. I just wanted to spend more time with them. But I do think it actually did a really good job of calling back to the pilot, calling back or the premieres of the various seasons, and really, um, you know, I didn't need that either that twist at the end where they end up up top while uh, Douglas or whoever is down in the, in the basement, but it, it felt, it felt appropriate. So maybe I didn't laugh as much as I would have liked, but I pretty much had a smile on my face throughout. Yeah. I think it, I think it works well to, to wrap things up. I think it also is one of those things that, you know, you're talking about bringing these people back together a, a good deal of time after, you know, see or series four, God, I can't, can't not, uh, you know, to to do this. So it, I think some of that plays into the way that it feels a little different, too, is because when you have long, I think when you have long gaps between what you're doing, some of the stuff that you're interested in or you think is funny now or what you would do it becomes completely different. But, you know, that's going to happen over the course of a U.S. series that does 22, 24 episodes. But that change is going to take place. And there's episodes that's happening yeah. <laughs> as those some of those changes play, take place. And so some of it seems a little more gradual. Uh, here you get stark differences because of the gaps, the larger gaps between uh, seasons, yeah. series. <laughs> well, well, we uh, we have actually already run over. Do we have any final thoughts on the it crowd or the IT crowd, Jason? Uh, for me, I'd say just uh, quickly, I'd say. Uh, my favorite episodes are The Haunting of Bill Krause in the first season, uh, The Dinner Party in the second season, The Speech in the third season, and Bad Boys in the fourth season, uh, with The Dinner Party being my favorite of overall. And that if you have any love for uh, Better Off Ted, you should watch, and you've never seen The IT Crowd, uh, you should go and watch The IT Crowd because it's a very similar vibe to uh, Better Off Ted. Excellent. And Simon? I would dispute that a little bit. I would say the better off Ted vibe is strong in the Chris Morris period, but it kind of wanes when they replace him with Barry and get a little broader. But anyway, um, the only other thing I wanted to mention was probably my favorite scene of the whole series is actually in the uh, Dungeons and Dragons game or mm. anonymous role-playing game <laughs> sequence where wherein uh, Iowate actually comforts O'Dowd in a, in a, in a, in a you know, in a dark moment, it's actually quite moving in a strange way, in a way that the rest of the show never really attempted. And I, I, I almost wonder if they wouldn't have tried to do that a little bit more, because I actually found that quite 
effective. So that was a bit of an odd experience. But yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot, had some problems, didn't like it as much as I thought I would based on my love for the cast, but it certainly was never a, a downer to watch. Yeah, and it's it's a fun show. It's definitely a fun show. And if you're curious about it at all, if you have an affinity for this cast, check it out. I know for me, just watching it after already knowing who Chris O'Dowd was made a huge difference in my appreciation of the of the show. I had a better sense of of the sensibility of the show and what they were going for. And so I ended up having a lot of fun with it. And so thank you, Jason, because I corrected an, a misconception <laughs> about a show. I would have been out there saying, oh, the IT card is not that great. Um, so I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I had this opportunity to re- to revisit it after that one episode debacle. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can uh, find me online at uh, tvholic.com or at the tvholic on Twitter. And you can find my podcast at tvtimes3.com or at tvtimes3 on Twitter. Excellent. And uh, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.